We have a tale of four seeds. Jesus gave a parable, which is a story that Jesus gave to represent or illustrate spiritual truth. He tells us about something real natural so we can understand a spiritual truth. And this is his pivotal foundational parable. Look at what he says. Again, he began to teach by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables or stories and said to them in his teaching, listen, everybody say listen. Now if God tells you to listen, you need to listen. He said, here's a story. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened that as he sowed, some of the seed that he sowed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. And then it goes on and says, some fell on stony ground, that's the second seed, and where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth, but when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no, what everybody, no root, because it had no roots it withered away. Now come to the third seed that we're dealing with today. And some seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no crop. And now we come to the good ground. But other seed fell on good ground. And what happened to it? Because it was good ground, it yielded a crop that sprang up. It increased and it produced that tells us what God wants you and I to do as Christians. Spring up, increase, and produce. Some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Now, Jesus said, if you've got an ear to hear, you need to hear. That means if you hear what I'm saying auditorily, you hear the sound waves. He said, understand what I'm saying to you. Don't just hear it, but get it. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that every person in this room brings forth fruit. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Let me, let me just tell you something about you and God. Jesus said, you did not choose me. Now, I know that you and I, when we go out and give our testimony, you say, well, I got up one day and went out and I found the Lord. No, you didn't find the Lord. The Lord found you. The Lord found you. And Jesus said in John 15, You did not choose me, but I chose you. Can you say with me, I'm chosen? He chose you. And he said, here's why I chose you. That you would go and bring forth fruit. And that your fruit would remain. Now, when he said, I've chosen you to bring forth fruit, what is he talking about? Well, we know he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. I have chosen you that you would be a reflection of me, that you would reflect the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith. That's the fruit of the Spirit. You didn't choose me, but I chose you that you would bring forth spiritual fruit, that you would become like my son. Now, he not only saved you for heaven, but he saved you for a purpose here, now, in this life. 
that you would go and bring forth fruit. And also a part of that fruit is that you would be influential for Jesus Christ. I have a major prayer for this church. I pray that God will raise up a church that will be hugely influential for Jesus. I want an influential church. And so, say with me, he didn't, uh, I didn't choose him. He chose me. And he's got a purpose for my life. Now, in light of that, look what Jesus told in this parable. Here's the, this parable broken down. Jesus Christ is the great sower of the seed. And once you're saved, you as a Christian are called to be sowers of the seed of the kingdom of God. That means influential. Influential for him. A sower of the seed of the kingdom. That's your call. No matter what you do, if you're a CPA, if you're a plumber, an electrician, if you're a business owner, it doesn't matter what you do. You have the ultimate call of being a sower of the kingdom of God, which means to be influential for Him. Now the seed you sow is the Word of God, the gospel of the kingdom. Peter says, you have been born again, not by corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed through the Word of God. Right now, I'm sowing seed into this audience through this Word. This is the seed of the Word of God. It's seed. There is no other word like it. There's no other book like it. This book is completely supernatural. All Scripture in it, and it's all Scripture, is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable it is the Word of God, God-breathed Word. And when you share this Word, you're sowing seed. And we have all been called to do it. Now, the soil in the parable is the human heart. And He's given us four kinds of soil, or four kinds of hearts that the seed of the Word of God falls on. And we've been talking about them now, this is the third week. The first one is the wayside soil or the seed sown by the roadside. And that's the hard soil. It's the light, flippant, indifferent hearer of the Word of God upon whom no impression is produced. The seed that goes by the roadside falls on the hard ground of a hard heart. And the idea behind it is the seed is never absorbed, never received, never accepted. And the seed never bears any fruit. These people can sit in church all of their life. But the seed is never received in their heart. It never produces anything. They sit there. They can amen you. They can pat you on the back. They can say that, that they uh, go to church and they're religious. But there's never a change. Nothing ever happens. They're never born again. They're never redeemed. This person, the wayside soil, is the person who is never saved, though they hear the word. Now the stony soil, the second seed, sown into rocky soil, is the heart that exhibits joy and excitement when they first receive the Word of God, but no permanent impression is made when trouble, persecution, trials come. It's plucked up because it had no roots, and so it never bears any fruit. Remember, He wants you to bear fruit. Then you've got the thorny soil, the, the seed sown among thorns. This is the heart that takes in the Word of God. And we're going to see today it's so full of worldly care. It's so full of worries. 
and uh, chasing after other things, that even though the Word is sown in the heart, it is literally choked out where it never bears any fruit. And then there's the good soil. The good soil is the good heart, the honest heart, the heart that receives and retains the truth and brings forth the fruit that God has called us to. Thank God for the good soil. We're talking about that next week. Now today, let me look at this third seed that falls among thorns. Now I want you to notice with me that we know that He wants us to bear fruit. And notice that three of the four seeds are sabotaged. The devil steals the seed in the first case, uproots the seed in the second case, chokes the seed in the third case, so that the destiny and will of God is never realized. What a tragedy. So how many of you want to be the good soil that brings forth the good fruit? Now let's look at this third seed for a minute. Other seed, Jesus said, fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Now later he explains this parable, this particular seed. Now listen to what Jesus said. He said, still others... Like seeds sown among thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke it, strangle it, making it unfruitful. Notice in the first case, the devil steals it. In the second case, it's uprooted. But in this case, it's choked. It's strangled. And it doesn't bear any fruit. How powerful this is. Now, I'm a word guy. I love words. And let me tell you what choked means. It's translated from a Greek word that literally means to strangle completely or to drown something. We've all seen the movies where somebody is strangled. And what, why are they strangled? What kills them? They can't get any air. Jesus is saying that the worries of this life, the cares of this life, and the pursuit of other things other than God pursuit of money, pursuit of wealth, can literally choke the Word where it can't breathe in you. It's choked and its potential is sabotaged. Like the old song says, you are a great big bundle of potentiality. But guess what? If that potential is choked, then you never come into what God has for you. And I don't want to see anybody here, including myself, miss out on what God has for me because you live once and then you die and then comes the judgment. And so I want to be sure that whatever I do, I, I fulfill the destiny of God for my life. I don't want to lose it. I don't want it choked out. It's not saying this person is not saved. It's saying that their potential is choked and stifled and smothered and strangled. Now the thorn-contaminated soil is the soil where the worries of life, first of all, Jesus said the worries of life, distract you. See, this is really, this third seed is all about focus. All about your ability to focus on the right things. You either focus on worry, or you focus on riches, or you focus on Him. So Jesus is saying that the, the, this thorn-contaminated soil is the one where the worries of life distract our focus and 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 we don't have the ability to concentrate on spiritual things 
our, our focus on the things of the Spirit. You know the Bible says in Colossians, you that are, have been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, not on the earth. See, we are to be heavenly minded. And I don't believe you can be so heavenly minded you're no earthly good. I believe the more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you become. So Jesus said, first of all, you got to watch out for those worries because those worries, that, that worry can choke the word of God in you where you don't, you don't focus on the right things. You're focused on what you're afraid of. You're focused on what you're worried about. Did you know that if you read the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6, three times Jesus commands us to not be worriers, not be worry warts, not to worry about things? Three times. He doesn't say, I want you to pray about not worrying, or I want you to consider not worrying. He says, do not worry. Command. He tells us three times. Now, I've got to tell you, this is a confession. I come from a worrying family. My dad was a worrier, a professional. He had his graduate degree in worrying. Now, I love my dad. My dad was a great guy. He's with the Lord now, but boy, could he worry. And his whole family, they were all worriers. Worrying was the way that they learned to respond to stress. I have relatives in New York. If you don't want to worry about it, call them. They'll worry for you and take it off your shoulders. They, they will worry for you. Uh, I, I mean, they are worriers. You talk to any of them, and in one minute flat, you're going to hear what they're worried about. It'll turn you into a worrier. If you're not careful, you'll catch it. But Jesus said, I don't want you to worry. Worry won't solve one thing for you. You can't make yourself taller by worrying about it. You can't make one hair white or black. But as a matter of fact, you worry more, it'll turn it gray. Listen to what Jesus said. Why worry? Why worry? about your clothing. Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Here's Jesus walking down a pathway with his disciples. He's talking about worry. And he, he turns and looks at a field and there's flowers in that field. And he says, look at those flowers. Look guys, look over there. Are they not beautiful? Even a sunflower. Is it not gorgeous? He says, look at that. Look how God dressed that flower. He said, if he spent that much time making something like a little sunflower look so pretty, he says, don't you know if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So here's the first thing we get from Jesus. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. God will clothe you. God knows what you need before you tell him what you need. Do you think that God didn't know that you needed clothes? That you needed the basic necessities of life? You know, I say all the time, and I'll say it again, there's two things God never says. He never says, oops. And he never says, well, I'll be. When you go to him and you say, Lord, I just need this and I need that, he doesn't turn to the Son and say to the Son of God, did you know they needed that? I didn't know that. Gabriel, did you know they needed that? He never says, well, I'll be. He says, I knew what you needed before you even asked me. 
You didn't need, listen, I didn't need you to tell me, you needed to tell me so that you can build your faith and watch how I provide for you. Because I can't deny you. If I deny you, I deny myself because you're a part of me. So I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. Don't worry about it. Don't get up and worry about it. Now, the next thing he says, don't worry about, he says, don't worry about your basic provisions. He said, don't worry about these things saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? He says, your heavenly father knows that you have need of all of these things. God knows you need food. God knows you need drink. Listen, God knows you need a job. God knows you need money. He knows you need a home. He knows about your bills. He knows about the stresses that are coming against you. He knows about the needs of your life better than you do. And he doesn't say, well, I'll be when you tell him about it. He already knew. And can I go ahead and tell you, your ram is coming up the other side of the hill already. He's going to provide for you. That's when God was named Jehovah Jireh. When Abraham was going to sacrifice his son. And God stopped him. And, God, and then Abraham turned and saw a ram caught in the bushes just over yonder. And do you know that the whole while that Abraham was carrying Isaac up that mountain, that ram was walking up the other side of the mountain, And God knew what he was going to need. And when he laid his son on that altar, the ram was right about then arriving just over here. And when he stopped him, God had already provided the ram. He's already got your job. He's already got your raise. He's already got your clothes. He's already got your health. He's already got what you need. He's a provider. And he's a good one. And Jesus said, don't worry about your provision. I'm going to take care of you. So promise number two is he's going to take care of your basic needs. Now listen carefully to Jesus' observation about the trap that worry-driven people fall into. Here's what happens to worriers. These things, Jesus says, dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Now catch that. What things? Worrying about clothes, worrying about what you're going to eat, worrying about what you're going to drink, worrying about the cares of this life. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Let me tell you a little secret about you and me. Something dominates everybody's day. Something dominates your thoughts every day. Have you ever noticed when you wake up in the morning, the devil makes a play for your thoughts? Have you ever noticed that? I mean, you're not, you're not up for 60 seconds and all of a sudden, first thing that comes into your mind is something to worry about. What about that money? What about those bills? What about those kids? They're kind of going crazy, aren't they? What about your spouse? What about your marriage? What about this? What about that? What if this? What if that? You know, worry hinges on what if. Worry is a fear. What's that ache you're feeling? Have you worried about that today? The devil make a play for your mind. And you know what? The devil wants you fellowshipping with what you're worried about instead of fellowshipping with God. Did you know the Bible tells us not to fellowship with demons? And did you know the Bible calls fear a spirit? And do you know that when you get up and you worry and you get on that hamster's wheel of worry and you're worrying, worrying, worrying about whatever it is, you're fellowshipping with fear. 
And God has not given you a spirit of fear, the Bible says. But of power and love and a sound mind. So that's why I say, when you get up in the morning, get with God. No Bible, no breakfast. Say, well, Pastor, I can't read if I don't eat. Yeah, you can. It's, a, it's an acquired taste. J just get up and get into the Bible and get your mind set on the things of God so that you're fellowshipping with Him and not with what the enemy wants to put on your mind first thing in the morning. Is anybody hearing me today? I know this is the way people are. Jesus' solution for worry is very simple. Trust God and seek first the kingdom of God. Don't worry about it. He said, worry will strangle and choke the word of God in your life or you don't produce any fruit. You don't have time to focus on the things of God. You're too busy worrying. You say, how was your devotional time? Oh, I had a great hour with worry. Somebody said, worry is like a dark room where negatives are developed. Worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you don't get anywhere. Worry is like being on a hamster's wheel. You're putting all kinds of energy into something, but you go nowhere. You travel nowhere. It settles nothing. So you've got to be a good caster. He said, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. You say, Pastor Jeff, how do I stop worrying? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Well, how do I get rid of it? 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, I have East Texas friends here today. In East Texas, you fish. You either hunt deer or you fish. If you don't fish or hunt deer, you can't fit in. And you've got to play dominoes on top of that. But when I was in East Texas, pastoring in East Texas, I learned to fish. I learned to bass fish. And in bass fishing, you cast. You cast that lure out there. And you let it sit for a minute, and then you reel it in. Now, that's great for fishing, but it's terrible for casting your cares. Because here's the way most Christians live. They cast that care upon the Lord. There it is. It drops into his hand. Then about an hour later, ch -ch 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 -ch, we're reeling it back. You say, why are you worrying about it? God? I, I, well, I'm just concerned God dropped off on the job. God's not doing his job. I've got to be sure God takes care of it. God does it right. So I'm going to worry about it again. And we reel it back in. No. When you cast a care upon the Lord, you cut the line. And you leave it there. Because if you don't, you're not going to have the ability to focus on the things of God. And that's what it's all about. Say with me, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then it says all these things, clothing, food, and drink, will be added to you as a side benefit. See, that's what people don't understand. You want to see God move in your life? Put Him first. You want to see God move in your life? Seek Him with all of your heart. You want to see God move in your life? Then set your attention and your focus on to Him. God bless you. I used to be that way when I was a little baby. Amen. That baby's amen in me. You just don't know it. Now, Jesus said also, not only not worrying about your provision issues, but he said, don't worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow will bring its own worries. 
Do you know that, that James said, go to now you who say today and tomorrow, I'm going to go into such and such a city and buy and sell and get gain. He said, when you don't know what tomorrow brings. See, how can you worry about something that you don't know what it's going to bring? Because it may look dark today, but you don't know what God's got for you tomorrow. Can I give you a little secret? God is already in your tomorrow waiting for you to arrive. He's already there. David said, let me tell you what God's doing with you and me, believers who trust Him. He said, He prepares a table before you in the very presence of your enemies. A table means a feast. He is in your tomorrow preparing a feast while the enemy watches and can't do a thing about it. He's got a blessing for you in your tomorrow. That's what hope means. Hope means I've got a confident expectation of good coming in my tomorrow. See, worry says be afraid of tomorrow. God says get excited about tomorrow. God says I'm in charge of your tomorrow. And being God, I'm already there waiting for you to arrive. And when you arrive, I've got a table prepared for you in the presence of your enemies. God says, I know the thoughts I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking thoughts of good and not evil to give you a future and to give you a hope. Our God is a God of the future and a God of hope. Christian, can I preach to you just for a minute today? You ought not be down and out. You ought not be walking around with your head hung low. You ought to be excited about what God's got in store for you. He's got a blessing for you. He's in your tomorrow waiting for you to arrive, preparing a feast. Something incredible is in the oven. And He's going to serve you in tomorrow. So don't be afraid of tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow brings, but you do know who holds tomorrow. You ever wonder where some Christians are on Sunday morning? You ever wonder why some people have no joy? I look at some people who say they're Christians, and I don't want the God that did to them whatever was done to them. Your face is God's greatest billboard. You ought to walk around with a smile on your face. When you leave today, if you go to a restaurant, don't go in there dragging your feet, looking down at the ground. Go in there and smile. If you go in there looking all depressed, don't tell them you were here. <laughs> What's the matter with you? Oh, I was over there at Turning Point. <laughs> oh, really? Thanks for the warning. You walk in there, hallelujah, glory to God. You got to wait 30 minutes for a table. That's okay, hallelujah. This is the day the Lord has made. You, if you got a row there, you go in there and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Get in there with joy. <laughs> oh, my. Now, there's another thorn that chokes the Word of God in your life. And let me deal with it as we close. Jesus named a second thing. He said, the chase for money can choke out our devotion to God. Now listen to what he said. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's Word, but all too quickly the message is choked, strangled out by 
the deceitful lure of money and the unhealthy desire for other things so no fruit is produced. Now what he's talking about here is what is number one to you. He said you can worry yourself sick where you can't even focus on the things of God and you bring no, forth no fruit. But he's saying also, whatever you're pursuing in life, if it's not him, it'll choke the word of God out and you won't bring forth any fruit. See, I can tell you what your God is. I can tell you who your God is. It's not hard. Here's who your God is, who you pursue the most. Your God is what you love the most. Show me what you're chasing, and I'll show you your God. See, right now our nation is in deep trouble. We're in 11 to 13 trillion dollars of debt. You can't get out of that. How do we get there? Men decided that they were going to chase the dollar, sold their soul for the dollar lied, cheated, stole, misrepresented themselves, cut corners, and they got rich for a season. But I'm going to tell you something. If you get it wrong, it'll leave wrong. And because of greed, because of the chasing for the dollar, because this nation primarily crowned the dollar our God, because of that, we're sinking and spiraling fast, and only a miracle of God is going to get America out of this. And I pray for America every, every day. I've never been more concerned about my country than I am right now. Not ever. And I pray for America, that God would wake us up to the fact that, that, listen, money won't make you happy. Money won't satisfy you. Money is no God at all. You can have it one day, lose it the next. It makes itself wings, and it flies away. Only one thing stays, and that is the one who sticks closer than a brother. His name is Jesus, and He is God. Now I want to be real clear here that there's not anything wrong with money. There's not anything wrong with things. There's not, nothing wrong with stuff. Nothing wrong with material things. God gave them. As a matter of fact, 1 Timothy 6.17 says, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. But the question is, when money becomes bad, when money becomes unhealthy, is when it possesses you and you don't possess it. When you serve everything, it rather than it serving you. See, the Bible is clear that many have departed from the faith chasing money and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I want to be rich. I want to have wealth. Great. If you're seeking God first and He's first in your life and He gives it to you, it won't ruin you. But if He's not first and you get it, it'll ruin you. Which of the two do you seek most, your money or Jesus? That's the deceitfulness of riches. He called riches deceitful. Well, what is the deceit that is in riches? The deceitfulness of riches is this, that money will make you happy. Money's not going to make you happy. I know it can't make you happy. I watch too many miserable rich people. Only one thing makes you happy, happy fulfilled and that is when your sin is covered 
and you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, that makes you happy. Until then, you're at war with God and at war with your conscience, at war with righteousness, and you will not be happy. The well-known American Idol Judge Simon Cowell is estimated to have a fortune of $160 million. Simon is internationally famous, recognizable, hugely successful by the world standards. But according to a recent article I read this week, it's not all sunshine and daisies for Simon. He is, he confesses, prone to depression, prone to irritability, resulting in moods in which he blocks out all of the people closest to him, pushes them away. He told the Daily Mail, if I went to a psychiatrist, it would be a long session. I get very dark moods for no reason. Nothing in particular brings it on. You can be having the best time of your life, and yet you're utterly and totally miserable. International fame, $160 million fortune, yet Simon confesses, I'm miserable, depressed, and irritated, and isolated. Money can't buy you happiness. Money won't buy you love. Money can buy you most things, but it can't buy you God's peace. Guarantee it. Only one currency gets you God's peace. That's the blood. Money can take you anywhere in the world, but money can't take you to heaven. Jesus warned, you, can, you cannot worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both, Jesus said. Can't do it. One of the two will be your God. But Americans, oh, how we have fallen for the money trap. I read recently of a 90-year-old Saluda, South Carolina man who was buried last Tuesday sitting in his favorite car. Everybody say, you can't take it with you. But he thought he could. You think I'm kidding? It goes on. An extra-large burial plot was needed on the grounds of the Rock Hill Baptist Church for the unusual funeral. Just as he had wished, Lonnie Holloway was laid to rest sitting behind the wheel of his green 1972 Pontiac Catalina that he bought new. <laughs> I'm sorry, this really got me. If I'm going to be buried, it's going to at least be in a Rolls Royce. <laughs> Not a 1972 Pontiac Catalina. Are you ready for this? This is true. He was strapped into the driver's seat with one hand placed on the steering wheel. As Holloway and the car were lowered into the ground, friends and family snapped photos. Also in the car were his six pistols and several rifles. He might need them where he's going to end up. But let me tell you something for sure. Mr. Holloway took none of it with him into eternity. He didn't even know that it was there. Jesus warns that if we let these three things, a, uh, a hard heart that doesn't receive the word, 
or a stony heart where it can't put down roots and it's plucked up. Or this heart where the seed is sown among thorns, cares, and the pursuit of the wrong stuff. Those three things will choke that word, pluck that word up, or let the devil steal it out of our heart. He wants us to be the good soil. Can we stand together today? You know, I'm sharing this message because I'm telling you, church, and forgive me if I sound melodramatic, but if you don't have roots, you better get them now. If the Word has never really penetrated your heart, you better let it now. Because your faith and my faith are under attack, and I believe this nation is going to see some rocky times. And what we need is rooted believers that are shining the light of Jesus into this country. And I don't want to see you plucked up by the roots or the devil steal the word out of your heart. And so how many of you want to be the good soil? All right, let me pray for you now. As Joe leads us in a moment of worship, I want you to stop and think a minute. Has the pursuit of other things taken first place in your heart? What is your heart really chasing? What is the passion of your heart? Is it Christ? Or is it the things of this world? God will give you the things of this world when He's first in your life. Are you worried all the time where it just makes you sick, where you can't concentrate? Would you repent of that today and say, Lord, help me to cast my cares on you and leave them there so that I'm not so distracted by worry I can't concentrate on you? When you get up in the morning, win the battle and put your thoughts on God right off the bat. Read His Word. Grow spiritually. You pray about that for a moment as we worship right now.